there was a man, in, an Indian businessman, who decided to get his wife a birthday present. And uh, she had told him, you only turn 44 once, and he took that to heart, and so he got her a $60 million luxury jet. It had an office, a cabin with game consoles, music systems, a satellite television, wireless communications, Wi-Fi. Uh, there was a master bedroom, a bathroom that had uh, a range of, of different showers in it. Uh, it had a bar with mood lighting. Uh, just for some context, this is a couple who, uh, they lived in Mumbai in a 27-story tall building. That was their home. They had a staff of 600. So, and that cost them about a billion dollars. So 60 million wasn't that much. They could, they could swing that for a birthday present. Well, his brother, not to be outdone, um, he bought his wife a luxury yacht for her birthday uh, worth about $80 million. That was nice of them, right? It, gifts are really, do you like to get good gifts? I would not like to get an $80 million yacht because that thing would, it would cost a million dollars a year or more to, to upkeep plus the staff and I want something I can drive. That is so, so if you want to give me a gift, make it smaller than a yacht, just, just so you know. Um, <clears throat> now, gifts I think are great and God likes gifts too. The Bible tells us that God loves to give good gifts to, those he, that, to His children and to those who ask. And one of his gifts, his most precious gift, is the gift of the Spirit. John 14, 15 to 18, Jesus talks about this gift. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And, and we, I've been saying this uh, for a few, a few different nights, I've said this verse, but I've, I've left off the rest of it. I've just started there in uh, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. But he goes on and he says, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. Another helper because Jesus is about to leave. He will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So the Holy Spirit is this precious promised gift that Jesus gives to all of his followers. And how do they receive this gift? How do they get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Luke eleven thirteen says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who sit around and wait? Is that what it says? Read it with me. To those who ask Him. See, the, the, the condition is that we ask. Uh, it seems like there's a verse in the Bible that Jesus talks about this. Um, Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened ask and it'll be given to you. So ask for the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the, the um, condition that he gives. John 16, 8 says, and when he has come, that's the Spirit, this is what he'll do. This is the stuff he'll work on in your life. He'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. <clears throat> you know that, that Spirit in you that says, this is wrong or you really should do this. My wife is grappling with a, uh, a decision, and it, it seems to her that God is leading her in a direction that would require some sacrifice, and, and it would be in, on behalf of somebody else. Somebody else has a need, and my wife just is feeling convicted that she needs to help, 
that this would be a righteous thing to do. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, is to convict us of what righteousness is. And, and then later in verse 13, John 16, 13, however, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. And so one of the, the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit is to open our eyes to the truth in God's word. And then it says, he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. And so this, this, the Holy Spirit is the, is the one who gives the gift of prophecy, for example. He's the one that shows us the future and guides us. You may remember something that uh, you did as a child and you felt bad about it. Do you ever remember those like sinking feeling like, oh, I really shouldn't have done that. <clears throat> Do you remember the second time you did that bad thing that you knew you shouldn't have done? Was it a little easier on your conscience to do it the second time? What about the third and fourth and fifth time? Maybe, maybe it was stealing a cookie from the cookie jar. The first time you did it, you knew you shouldn't. Your mom had told you you shouldn't, uh, but you got away with it. And then you came back a little while later and you stole another one because you got away with it the first time. And it was easier to steal the second one and then the third one and then the fourth one and then the fifth one and then you got your hand slapped because <laughs> it was in the cookie jar when your mom came in. Um, but it's, it's kind of like that with the Holy Spirit too. And I want to explore this, how, the, how our, our hearts interact with God's Spirit because His job is to convict us, but, but we have a responsibility in responding. As we ask God for the Spirit, we have a need to have a willingness to receive the Spirit too. Not just a request to, uh, to receive it, but a willingness to follow when the Holy Spirit guides us and convicts us. So what happens when God calls and we fail to listen? Matthew 12, 31 to 32 describes this. It says, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. And then 1 John 1, 9, it, it seems to contradict this. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, if you sin, God will forgive, but, but there's some sin that God won't forgive? How does that work? If you confess your sin, God's forgiving, God's going to forgive it. But if you have, there's some sins that just God just won't forgive. It's important for us to understand some things about God's Word. God the, the Bible tells us that God is love. God is merciful. He's gracious. Uh, Psalms 86.5 says, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Or, or in John 5, you are not willing to come to me that you might have life. There's a contrast here. See, God is willing, but in John 5, we are not willing, he says. And this is where you get the challenge. Not that God is not willing to forgive, but God can't forgive something that we that we don't confess. God can't forgive what we don't take to Him. He, he's saying, I love you so much. I've died for you. I, I've given you my mercy and my grace, but you've rejected it. You've ignored it. You've pushed it off. And so the question is, are we ready to be forgiven 
not as God willing to forgive. Peter was preaching at Pentecost, and he's talking to a group of people who had committed a great sin. I mean, we're talking about a huge sin. What had they done? They'd crucified Christ. I mean, how can you get worse than that? How can you get a bigger sin than that? Some people think the unpardonable sin is the sin that is bigger than anything else. This must have been the biggest sin ever. And yet, Peter's speaking to them, and they are filled with conviction at having crucified the Messiah. And in Acts 2, 37, they say, now, now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And in verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Spirit. So, this is kind of the process. We repent of our sins, baptized, and Jesus forgives our sin and gives us the Holy Spirit. That's the, the process. Jesus said, ask and I'll give you the Spirit. Um, so when, when uh, we add these, we, these things to it, we realize that asking implies something. The desire for the Holy Spirit implies a submission. We've already admitted we're sinners. We've already confessed our sin. We've already said yes to the steps God's asked us to take, such as baptism. And, and he says, I forgive you, and here's my Holy Spirit to guide you and give you these gifts. Some take this to mean that when a pastor baptizes a person and says a specific set of words, like I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ, that, um, or in, in some cases, uh, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, um, like we read in Acts chapter 2. Um, some, some people will, will make a big deal about what's said at baptism. But it's not that, that uh, Peter is saying that you should be baptized in the name of Jesus, like um, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. More like he's saying that you should come to baptism recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah. He's talking to people who'd rejected him, who'd crucified him. Now they need to change their hearts. They need to repent, and they need to accept Jesus as the Messiah. That's what Peter is telling them. Come to baptism recognizing Christ. <clears throat> At baptism, we give our, ourselves to God. We accept Jesus as our Savior. But if you were to have this message, a truth from God, and you were to say, no, thank you, I, I'd rather not, um, then um, is, is Jesus able to give you the gift of the Spirit? Is He able to, to give you what you really need so much? No, because you've, you've said no to Jesus. You've said no to God. And, and it's not that God doesn't want to come in. He's pursuing us. And, and will He try again? Will he come back to us and, and ask again and, and open up the word of God to us again and pierce our hearts a little bit, make us convicted? Will he, will he come back to us again? Absolutely he will. He definitely will, but I've never heard of anybody standing at somebody's door knocking forever. There's a point at which God lets you make the choice that you're, that you're making. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 
That means that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. If he was saying, don't do this, it means that you could if you, if you chose to. And when you think of, of that cookie jar, each time you, you go back and you say, I'm going to do it even though I know I shouldn't, you, you grieve your conscience. And, and it, it starts to diminish in its impact on your mind. And that's what the Bible is saying about grieving the Holy Spirit as well. We're hardening our hearts. We're silencing our ears to the knocking of Jesus on our hearts. And we're saying, I don't want to listen. I don't want to listen. No, no, stop it. Go away. And eventually, it gets quieter and quieter. And it's harder and harder to hear. James 4.17 says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. So God is saying, come, follow me. When we say, I know that's the right thing, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to sit around a bit. I'm going to wait on that. I'd rather not go right now, maybe later. The Bible is saying that that failure to do what God is asking us to do is just as sinful as our pursuing what God has told us not to do. So when you commit a sin by ignoring or delaying, um, obedience to Christ, and then later on you ignore or delay, and then later on you ignore or delay again, do you think that the Spirit of God gets stronger in your heart, or maybe does it diminish? It, it, goes, it goes a little bit away. A little at a time, a little time, it, it goes away. Paul said to Thessalonians, don't quench the Spirit. It's, it's like the Spirit warms us. You remember the fire that was on the, the apostles in the upper room um, on the, the day of Pentecost? They, the room, there was a, a sound of a rushing wind and flames of fire appeared on their, their heads. It's almost like the, the Spirit is this fire that warms us spiritually, burns within us. But when we say no to God, no to God, no to God, over and over again, we're quenching the Spirit. We're diminishing its, its influence in our lives. I can't hear you, we're saying. I can't hear you. You know, there's a question in the Bible that God can't answer. There's a question He can't answer. And uh, there's not much that God can't do, but this particular question, He can't provide an answer for. And this is in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. He says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. When the Bible opens something up to us and we neglect it, it's, it's just as bad, honestly, if we, than, than if we reject it. If we say, oh, later's fine, later's fine. It's almost like you think about Lot and his situation. Sodom and Gomorrah was about to be burned up. If Lot had said, you know what, I, I see what you're saying, angels, I, I see that it's a problem, but uh, I'll, I'll go tomorrow, maybe the next day. Let me think about it for a while. Would, would his neglect of salvation that was offered by those angels result in, in good things or bad? It would have been bad for him. He would have been in the fire. He would have, his neglect would have been rejection. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Hmm. Waiting. 
what if we waited? What if we delayed? In Romans 8, 14, um, God's Word says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Being led by the Spirit suggests, implies following. We, we, don't, we don't sit and see the Holy Spirit go on ahead of us. And, and, uh, and then people say, he's being led by the Spirit. <laughs> no, it's, it's when you're walking closely with the Holy Spirit. That's when you can say that they're being led by the Spirit. So, <clears throat> to know God's will and to say, no, not, not doing it. To understand God's will and say, I don't want to go there. Um, that, that places a really big question beside your relationship with God. Maybe you're good in all these other areas, but you say in this one place, no, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. I don't want to change. I want to do my own way. Because the true child of God is the one who not only knows the will of God, but yields to God or surrenders to God, they're led by God's Spirit. The Bible says something, and then we might say, all right, well, that's interesting. I'll think on that for a little while. Now, it's not inappropriate for us to say, I need to know more information. Let me dig right? And, and then uh, you get to know God's Word. But, but if you've known God's Word now and you say, no, thank you, then, then that's a diminishing of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're saying, even if you say, I, I, I'm convicted, I know it's true, but I'm not going to do anything yet, you're diminishing the Holy Spirit's impact in your life. And as a result, well, does God, does God keep pursuing you? Absolutely, He does. But there is a point that God honors your choice in pushing Him away. He doesn't chase after you forever. There is a point at which that chasing ends. In First John, I mean, sorry, in John 3:19, Jesus said, "And this is the com- con- condemnation: the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light." In the judgment, many will be lost, not because they rejected God, but because they neglected God's truth. They ignored God. Jesus says, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. You can't have that happiness, that joy in the Spirit, without following the Spirit. Psalm 51.11 says, do not cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. There is a possibility that God's Spirit can be removed. There's no indefinite pursuing that God does of our hearts. If we refuse Him over and over and over again, at some point, He's going to stop. He's going to stop pursuing us. In Genesis 6-3, in the context of the flood, God says, my spirit shall not strive forever. So what did God do? We're talking about the flood here. What what did he do? He goes on for 120 years warning the world. 120 years. Is that long enough for the world at that time, a fairly small corner of the earth? Uh, Is that enough time for the world to hear the message? There's a judgment coming, floods happening, get on the ark. Is that enough time? Absolutely it was enough time. And, And there were two groups of people. They made a decision at that point. There was one group that decided to get on the ark, and, and the rest decided not to get on the ark. It was a clear divide. They had made a choice. They had the evidence. They had the gift of prophecy. They had the truth, and they said, no, thank you. 
Now, maybe some of them neglected it. And when the day came that uh, all of the, the animals went on the ark and Noah and his family went on the ark, um, they, they might have thought, oh, you know what, <laughs> it's a pretty day today. I think I'm just going to go for a walk. Um, I know they're getting on the ark. Oh, no, it looks like that door is shutting. Well, I, I still think I'm just going to go on a walk for today. That, that was the end. The Spirit did not strive forever. The door closed. It took another seven days for rain to start falling. It might have been that at the time the rain was falling, some people said, whoa, we delayed too long, and they started knocking on that, the side of that, that ark and saying, let us in, let us in. But the Spirit of God had been striving with them for 120 years, and they had said, no, no, no. And God was the one that opened and closed that door, not Noah. Noah didn't have a choice in the matter. It was apparently too big for him. An angel had to close it. So it wasn't that Noah was rejecting these people, but they had rejected God. And God stopped striving with them. The unpardonable sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, is not a certain type of sin, murder or even, even crucifying the Son of God, no, it's the callousness that develops on our hearts when we continue to delay or reject God in His pleading in our, our lives. It's, it's the unpardonable sin. Maybe, maybe it's that, that sin that, um, it's that idol, you might say. The thing that you've put in place of God in your life, whatever it is, it's, it's the thing that you like more than obeying God. And, and it, could be, uh, it could be something as, uh, as simple as money. Uh, money has become an idol for many people, and they would rather wealth than God, like the rich young ruler. For some, it's, it's their, their family. Didn't Adam choose Eve over God? An idol that he put in God's place. Um, for some, it's, it's their culture. And you see... Um, Abraham's family stopped in, uh, in their, their path all the way towards the Canaan land. His brother stopped in, an, in another place and decided that that was good enough for him. He liked the culture of Mesopotamia more than the, the place God was taking him. And he, he put something in front of God. The unpardonable sin isn't a big sin. It could be a small one. It's the sin that you refuse to confess and repent of. It's the sin you refuse to give to God. Is there any sin God cannot forgive? Yes, yes, there is. We just talked about it. <laughs> it it's possible that God can't forgive you, but it's not because He chooses not to forgive you. It's because you choose not to ask for forgiveness. You choose not to receive His forgiveness. There is no sin too big for God to forgive if you confess it. But that's the critical, the critical component. You can't keep it hidden from God, ignoring Him and, and refusing to repent of it and, and then expect God to forgive you and save you in His kingdom. Hmm. Small sins. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Follow me. And the people during His time that were hearing Him, they said, oh, we definitely want a Messiah, but you're kind of weird. We want the soldier. We want the general. We want the king. And you're not that. 
so no thank you. They silenced the voice of God in their hearts, and they rejected Jesus, and they nailed him to a cross. Now, were there people who repented of that? Uh, in Acts 2, we find that there were people that repented of that, but there were a lot of people that didn't. They, they were solidly against Jesus ever after that. Could they, having refused to repent of that sin, could they receive the Spirit? At some point, the door was closed. At least when they died, yes. God's Spirit ceased to pursue them, and they, they, they committed the unpardonable sin. Unpardonable because they, they were unwilling to confess it. Let's look at a couple case studies, just two case studies really quick, in Acts chapter 24 and chapter 26. Both of them um, from the life of Paul. One of them is about Felix. Acts chapter 22, 24, verses 24 and 25. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith of Christ. Imagine that. He calls for the greatest preacher that the world has known other than Christ. He calls Paul to come in and talk to him about the gospel and tell him everything. Um, it's like, all right, come over to my house. Tell me, tell me everything about the Bible, a whole nine yards. And uh, what does the Bible say happened next? Verse 25. Now, as he reasoned, that's Paul, reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. The Bible never records Felix calling Paul to come back. That was the end of that spiritual journey. When God calls you, is it a convenient time? Because Felix said, when it's convenient, I'll call you to come back. When God calls you, is it convenient? Y you know, you might not think it's convenient. You might be uncomfortable to follow what you've just heard from the Bible. But if, if there's any time to follow God, it's when he's calling. <laughs> if there's any time to, to that, that's convenient, then it's the time that God says is convenient. He reveals His Word to you, and, and that's a good time to say yes. Really, there's no better time. There will never be a better time to say yes. Another study in the subject of the unpardonable sin is found in Acts chapter 26, and it's now King Agrippa. Acts chapter 26, verses 27 and 28. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets, Paul says? And then he made this statement, I know that you do believe. King Agrippa's heart was soft to the Holy Spirit. But then in the next verse, Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost. Some of the most tragic words in all of the Bible. Almost. All he needed to do was run up the white flag and say, I surrender to God. And, and, and he's like, you know what? I'm just going to keep doing my thing. Oh, I'm, I'm close, but, but no. I'm, all he needed to say to God was, I'm not going to fight anymore. I'm going to open the door. I'm going to let you in. And, and he said, no, almost. He didn't trust that a life lived with God, God's way, was better than the life lived independent from God. 
And, you know, we can have those things, those little strongholds in our heart that we cling to and we hold on to. And we say, you know what, it's better to do this my way than God's way. It's better to, to, to keep it going my way, the world's way, the way that seems right to a man. There's an embracing that we have to do when we come out of darkness. We need to embrace Christ because especially when you're coming out of darkness and you're coming into some truth, it can be a little wobbly. Have you ever gotten out of bed, turned on the lights, and then been like, oh my, I can't really see much right now. <laughs> Give me a second. Sometimes when you're coming into the light, you need, a, you need to lean on someone. You need to lean on Christ. And that's all we need to do is just say yes to Jesus and lean on him, and, and he'll take us through the blurriness of getting used to new light. He'll take us through that time. It might feel awkward. It might be uncomfortable, but we just need to surrender. Let's not be like Felix or Agrippa, not come back at a convenient time, not almost. Let's just say yes to God, don't you think? What, what's the cost? Honestly, what's the cost of saying yes to Christ? I mean, it might take a little sacrifice. Maybe you Maybe you give up your, your 10% of your income, like the Bible says, and, and you pay tithe. But is that really a cost? Ultimately, is it really a cost? Oh, in fact, I, li I like that. You give up all your income to Christ. It's all His to begin with. We're just stewards. But, but when you think about it, even if you have 10% less of your income, if God is leading, will you be provided for? Will you have sufficient? Um, Jesus promises that he will provide for all of our needs. And so, so for us to say, I got a better path, I got a better way, is to, it's to defy God and say, I don't agree with your direction. I don't believe that you'll provide for my needs. I don't trust you. Even in a little simple thing, that simple thing is a demonstration of where our heart is. Is it really a, too much of a cost? Jesus poured out all of heaven and gave his own life for us. What, what small thing is there that he's asking us to give? Maybe it's a little money. Maybe it's a change in the, the friends we hang out with. Maybe it's a change in the church. And, and he's simply saying, I want you to, to hang out with, with my people and adopt the mission that, that my people have at the end of time. Whatever the thing is that God is, is asking of you, whatever sacrifice you think that you might have to make, it's, it's small things compared to eternity and compared to what Jesus has given for us. I'd like to share a story with you about one of, one of the heroes of the 20th century, a guy named Terry Fox. He was a young Canadian, and he loved to run. And he, uh, when he was a young man, uh, a teenager, he found out that the, the pain in his leg that he had started to experience was a type of cancer, osteosarcoma. And it, as a result, he had to have his leg amputated. He still loved to run. And three months later, three months after getting his leg cut off and trying to deal with some awkward old-time contraption as a, as a leg, um, he started to walk just three months later. It's pretty impressive. And then he started to run again. And uh, it, it was in uh, 1980, April of 1980, he ran a, a marathon. 
And uh, sorry, in April of 1980, he had already run a marathon, but, but in April he started a, an interesting program, an interesting uh, challenge. He called it the um, Marathon of Hope, and he went from St. John's, Newfoundland, and he was going to run all the way across Canada, 8,000 kilometers, about 5,000 miles, and he was going to do it on one leg. He didn't actually run. He, he did this kind of, kind of hop-drag, hop-drag um, as he, he went across, and, and he did about a marathon's worth a day for, for several days, and he got about 3,500 miles. He ran for 143 days. He made it to Thunder Bay, and the cancer returned. And he wasn't able to continue on the rest of the 1,500 miles that he was planning on running. How did he make this long trip? One hop at a time. That's right. One hop at a time. Sometimes we look at, at this future transitions in our lives, changes that, we, that we're called to make, um, decisions that God's asking us to make, and we think, this is too insurmountable. I can't do it. But I just want to say, if, if I were looking at a 5,000-mile run, I'd say, I can't do it. For a guy with one leg, surely he can't do it, and yet he did, one step at a time. You know, with Christ leaning on him, it's not a hard step. Maybe, maybe there's a little bit of self-sacrifice involved. Maybe there's a little bit of, of pain as our pride is pricked and we have to give up little things to God. Sure, sure, there's a little bit of that. But is it worth it? I mean, for Terry Fox, his goal of, of um, bringing hope to, to cancer victims, um, it was worth it for him to, to run 3,500 miles. How much more for us to say yes to Jesus? How much more? This is the end of our program on Revelation. And, and I think when we look at the subject of the second coming and, and we, we see all these fascinating things from Revelation and all these fascinating truths from God's Word, it's, it's a time to say yes to God. And it's not a time to delay. It's not a time to wait. It's a time to say Yes, God, today I'll say yes. Tonight I'll follow you. And, and Christ is speaking into your heart. One step at a time, he's calling you closer to him. Even if it's a feebling, hopping step, he's saying, come closer to me. I love you and I want you to be in my kingdom. The wonderful difference between this young man who... Uh, had only one leg, and his long trip, and your trip with Jesus is that you've got Jesus to lean on. He didn't have a help, but you've got all kinds of help, and, and he promises the gift of the Spirit. And when you think about it, this, this promise is fantastic. He promises you a comforter. How many of you have needed comfort in your life? He promises you a helper. How many of you could use some help now and again? He promises you the gifts of the Spirit, gifts that bless the world. How many of you like to bless the world, right? And then he says that, that when the, the Spirit is in your life, you live a new life, and he gives you fruits of righteousness. How many of you enjoy seeing good things come out of your life? I, th there's nothing bad about receiving the Holy Spirit. There's only good when you say yes to God. The alternative is, is not good. 
I can't, I can't think of anything good that comes from saying no to God. And so won't, won't you take the little sacrifice that God asks you to make to say yes to God? I want to invite you to take a step tonight towards the second coming, towards a life, an eternity with God. There's a couple thoughts in your handout. Just a couple short thoughts about the Holy Spirit. I'd like you to discuss it a little bit. And then there's a, there's a decision at the end. And uh, I'd like to read that, if you don't mind me borrowing this for a second. The decision says, I give my life to God completely so that nothing will stand between me and Him. Any sin that I have held on to, I renounce tonight. And I confess and give it over to God so that He will forgive me and renew His Spirit within me. There's a beautiful passage in Psalm 51. It's, it's around the same time that uh, David says, uh, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. He says, renew a right spirit in me. And I think all of us, as we face sin in our lives, and there's none of you, I don't care what you think about yourself, none of you that's perfect or sinless yet, you can all use to say yes to Jesus tonight in this context. Do you choose to give your heart to God? So take whatever sin that's between you and him now and confess it and allow him to renew that right spirit within you.